Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Hey, church. How are we doing? Hope, hope we're doing well. Um, it's good to see you. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving food is one of the things I love about America, and specifically deviled eggs, actually. I'm a big fan of that. Um, but my name is Ciro, and I've been a part of Three Creeks with my wife, Hannah, and I for about seven months now. Um, we joined, uh, we started coming regularly back in, in April of this year. And we moved to Columbus uh, back in January. So beginning of this year, we moved to Columbus. Um, But I'm originally from Brazil, uh, but spent the majority of my life in the country of Turkey. So from ages 3 to 21, um, I grew up in Turkey, which is located in, in the Middle East area. For those of you who don't know, to the west of it is Europe, to the east of it is Asia. Um, it's a little small, but on the western coast, there's a small town, or it's not small, but the dot is really small. It's called Izmir, and it's, it's actually the, the biblical city of Smyrna. So in the beginning of the book of Revelation, um, John writes churches to the seven letters, to seven different churches, uh, and the second one that he writes to is to the church of Smyrna, Izmir, right over there, which is where I spent a majority of of my life, uh, 18 years over there. But moving to Turkey from Brazil, it was not easy for my family. It was a big decision to leave our close-knit church family, where my dad pastored for about seven years before we left. And it was also difficult to leave our big extended family with grandparents, with 15 aunts and uncles, and over 30 first cousins. But my parents were firmly convinced that God had invited them to go to the country of Turkey to make their home among a people who did not know or follow Jesus. For those of you who don't know, um, Turkey is a a majority Muslim country. Most of the people there, um, they follow the religion of Islam. And there are less than 10,000 followers of Jesus in a country of more than 80 million people. So just so you have an idea of what that's like. So the city of Gehenna has about 35,000, 36,000 people, according to Google. And so if Turkey was the city of Gehenna, that would mean in this whole city, there would only be about three and a half followers of Jesus. And one of the great differences, one of the great clashes between Islam and Christianity comes in the person of Jesus Christ. Because in Islam, Jesus is a good man. He's just, he's a prophet. But in Christianity, Jesus is God-man, the eternal Son of God. And we find that truth about Jesus in the Gospel of John. So, When we look at the beginning of the gospel account that John wrote, uh, he writes, referring to Jesus, he calls him the Word of God, who was with God and was God from the very beginning. And then when we jump down to John 1, verse 14, the beginning of that verse, 
John writes that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word of God, Jesus, took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. When my family left Brazil to go to Turkey, we didn't become Turkish to live among the Turks. It took us years to understand what it really meant to be Turkish. But that analogy, it can't even come close to explaining the depth of what Jesus did when he came to live among us. It was a supernatural occurrence, the divine nature of God the Son joining with the human nature as one and coming to live among us. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, took on, put on human flesh and made his dwelling his home among us. Just a few minutes ago, we heard a beautiful spoken word about this, a spoken word about the living word coming to be present with us. The language in this verse uh, where it says he made his dwelling, it means to pitch a tent, to pitch a tent. So basically, Jesus set up camp to come to be with us, to live among us, to be present for a purpose and for a mission. But why would he do that? And why does that still matter 2,000 years later today? So that's what we'll be exploring together. So I've got three questions that will kind of help frame our time. First one is, why did Jesus come? The second one is, why did Jesus stay? And the third one is, what difference does it make? And my main point, my, my takeaway that I hope you come out of this with, I'm just going to share it right off the bat, is that if you have been saved by Jesus, then you are called to be on mission with Jesus. Let me say that again. If you have been saved by Jesus, then you are called to be on mission with Jesus. There is no exclusive call for this. It's for every single follower of Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into our first question. Lord, we thank you for this day. Um, God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we get to gather here together as a church, as believers worshiping you. Um, Lord, we thank you that we get to do this. God, this is an honor. This is a privilege. We know that there are people in various parts of the world who don't get to do this together as a body, as a community, as a family. And so we're grateful for that. We pray that you bless this time. Lord, we, bre- we bless uh, this moment right now. Lord, we pray that you do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first question, why did Jesus come? Let me share it right off the bat. Jesus came because he was sent by God on a mission. He came because he was sent by God on a mission. His coming, his dwelling with us was purposeful. But what was this mission? Usually, if you go to any company website or organization or church, you come up with some form of a mission statement, right? It kind of is the thing that drives them. It's their why or, um, and whatnot. And usually, there is a, some kind of verb attached to it to, to enable, to improve, to inspire, to deliver, to organize. Here, if you go to the Three Creeks website, you'll see that it says, we're here helping people find and follow God. We're helping people find and follow God, right? We're here to help to come alongside people in the journey of finding and following God. And so the mission of God is this. It's to redeem and reconcile all people to himself. To redeem and to reconcile 
all people to himself. But what do those two words mean? To redeem and to reconcile. To redeem means to deliver or to rescue. It's the act of buying something back, of getting something back for a price. And to reconcile means to restore relationship. It goes beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness is a part of reconciliation, but it goes beyond forgiveness, and it's a full restoration of a relationship. And God is relentlessly pursuing His mission to redeem and to reconcile all people, all of us, to Himself, to invite us into His family and to restore relationship with us. The grand narrative and the unifying theme of the entire scripture, of the entire Bible, is this singular theme. And the climax of this mission, the person who came and played a key part in this mission, is Jesus Christ. Jesus became our great redeemer, delivering us from the bondage of sin and slavery, and our great reconciler, bringing us back into right relationship with God and with one another as well. That's good news right there. I mentioned that the mission of God is is the unifying theme of Scripture, right? There there are many big themes, but that's definitely a key one. And so I want to quickly make a bridge connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament and demonstrating uh, what Jesus did through that. So let's set the stage. Not too long ago, we had a series on Moses. And so you might remember uh, what goes on uh, through the life of Moses and specifically in, in the book of Exodus. So in, in the book of Exodus, we find the Israelites who were God's chosen people through whom he said he would accomplish his mission. So he had chosen the Israelites to accomplish his mission. And we find the Israelites in living in Egypt but not just living in Egypt, they were, uh, they were in bondage in Egypt. They were beaten, they were literal slaves there. They were be- beaten, oppressed, and held in bondage by Pharaoh. And God was not content to leave the Israelites in bondage. And so he executed a plan to deliver them through his chosen vessel, Moses, and to lead them into the promised land of Canaan. That's a very, very short, very simple synopsis of the book of Exodus. But let's try to understand for a second the state of the Israelites, kind of where they were in between leaving Egypt, being delivered from Egypt, and going to the promised land, right? Their destination. So that journey in between those wilderness years. I'm sure you've heard some kind of variation of this phrase. You can take the X out of Y, but you can't take the Y out of X. For example, you can take the man out of Texas, but you can't take Texas out of the man, right? Or you can take the girl out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the girl, something along those lines. So let's jump back to the Israelites. If we looked at the life of the Israelites, especially in the wilderness, we see how even though they were taken out of slavery, slavery was not taken out of them. What I mean by that is that even though the Israelites physically, they were not slaves anymore, they lived in a slavery mentality. Positionally, their situation had changed. God had freed them, but internally, they had not been changed yet. They had a pattern, during the, especially during those wilderness years that they repeated, where they would sin, God would bring judgment, they would repent, God would relent, 
and then they would go back and sin again. But let's be honest, it's easy to point fingers, to read about the Israelites, to judge them, but it's very convicting when we look in the mirror and realize we can often fall into the same cycle as well. So, again, why did Jesus come? He came to fulfill the second exodus. The first exodus was God taking his people out of slavery. The second exodus is God taking slavery out of us, doing so through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and says, I'm paying for the penalty of your sin, which is death, so that you don't have to. And he's coming and saying, I'm removing the power of sin in your life through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us as we submit our lives to him. We find here that Jesus Christ, he's the new and greater Moses, delivering us from a greater captor than Pharaoh, leading us to a greater promised land than Canaan. But God's deliverance of the Israelites was not only for them to receive freedom and renewed relationship with him, but so that through them, God could bless all people. There was both an inward dimension as to what God was doing and an outward dimension. And the same is true for us today. God's mission is both about saving us and sending us. It's about redeeming us and releasing us. It's about giving us a new perspective and help us walk in a newfound purpose so that every family, every school, every neighborhood, every workplace, every city, every tribe, every people group, every nation will be blessed by us, by God's family, and will have an opportunity to hear and respond to the good news that we have received and have responded to in faith and repentance. Amen? Let's jump into our second question. Why did Jesus stay? In our first question, quickly, we covered how he came because he was on a mission. And with our second question, we're exploring why did Jesus not only come, but why did he stay for about 33 years when he could have just come and just done what he needed to do much more quickly, much more efficiently, just been in and out. But again, let me just say it right off the bat. I believe, and there are many reasons we can give, but I believe that Jesus stayed because he wanted to become our example of how to live on mission. Jesus wanted to come and live and demonstrate to us how to live on mission among the people that God has sent us to, in the communities that God has placed us in. One thing that I quickly learned when I moved from Turkey to the U.S., there are a lot of cultural differences that I observed, um, but one thing that I quickly learned is the difference in whether to take your shoes off or keep them on when you go to someone's home. How many of you would say that usually when you go to your own house, one of the first things that you do is just you take your shoes off and then you walk in? Okay, yeah. What about when you go to someone else's house? Do you do the same thing, or is it different? Do you take your shoes off? Okay. So in, in Turkey, um, it's not just common, but it's actually expected that when you go to someone's house, that you take your shoes off right away. Everyone knows it. But, and it's mostly for cleanliness purposes, so that you don't bring in germs or 
uh, dirt from the outside, but you're also not just expected to walk around barefoot or just with socks on. Usually, you're provided some house slippers to wear. I remember at our house, we had a ton of slippers. Everyone, someone, every time someone came over, you offered to them for them to, to walk in that. And for them, it's a demonstration of hospitality, that you're welcome to be there and that you can stay as long as you want. Another uh, cultural piece as well. A study I read in the U.S., it said that most people actually do, like this church too, most people do take their shoes off when they go into their own home. But they don't necessarily expect their guests to take their shoes off when they come into their home. So it's a little different. I'm not sure what your house rules are, but I think for me, partly because I grew up in in a culture um, that we always took our shoes off, but for me, when I'm going to someone's house, if I have my shoes on the whole time, it almost feels like I'm just ready to leave at any moment. It's like I can just dart out and be fine. But when I take my shoes off, it communicates this idea that, you know what, I might stay a while. And I feel like when Jesus came, to this earth, he took his shoes off and he was like, you know what? I might stay a while. And I believe that Jesus stuck around because his purpose was not just to deliver us from sin and slavery through his death and resurrection, something he could have done much quicker, but his purpose was also to demonstrate to us how to walk in freedom and how to live on mission through his life. Jesus wanted us to see what a life lived for the sake of others looked like. At the beginning, earlier we read the verse John 1.14, which said that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And now I want us to look at it, but read it in the message paraphrase. Here's what it says. It says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And whose neighborhood did he move into? The dirty, the desperate, the lonely, the unfaithful, the sinner, the hurting, the adulterer, the unbelieving, the inadequate, the insecure, the sick. When he moved into the neighborhood, he didn't remain anonymous. Jesus moved in and he made friends. He got to know people. He got to know his neighbors, the people around him. He sat with them. He walked with them. He talked with them. He listened to them. He broke bread with them. He cried with them. He laughed with them. He worshiped with them, and he shared life with them. Jesus didn't overcomplicate things. He was just present. He knew that in his human form, he had certain limitations, limitations he willingly took on. He couldn't be everywhere or everything for everyone all the time. But the magnitude of the needs around him didn't lead him to apathy or indifference or to be passive, but it led him to compassion, which spurred him into action. It focused him on the mission that he came for. In all that he did, Jesus became an example for the disciples who walked with him, and he became an example for us today. So let's jump into our third question. What difference does it make? It's important to know why Jesus came and why Jesus stayed. But we have to connect that to why that should matter for us, for you and me today. 
Jesus gave us the opportunity to be free from sin and slavery and showed us how to live a life on mission with God. So what? What now? Living on mission, here's what it means. It means living with purpose. A purpose that is connected to what God did for us and what He wants to do through us for others. But what kind of posture is necessary for us to do that well, like Jesus did? When my family made the move from Brazil to Turkey, um, I was really young, but we did experience a decent amount of culture shock, but also some ways that we just felt right at home. Both cultures have a high value for relationships, high value for people, Uh, that's really, really important, and also, of course, a high value for soccer, which was very, very important. But the food that we ate, the language that we spoke, the customs, the traditions, the religion, they were all very, very different, and at times, very challenging as well. So if your whole purpose in moving across the world is to reach those people, to reach people with good news, what do you do? If you want to have any kind of impact, you take, you, you take on the posture of Jesus, right? You take off your shoes, you move into the neighborhood, you make sure to learn the culture, the customs, the language, to eat the food, to drink the tea, to invite people into your home, and to go into their homes as well. You don't expect them to conform to you. You step into their shoes to demonstrate to them that you value them, that you care for them, that you love them as people made in the image of God. So let's jump to 1 Corinthians 9 and hear what Paul has to say here. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, here's what Paul writes. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And, and he goes on to list a few different categories of people that he became like in order to reach out to them. The religious, the non-religious, those who follow the law, those who don't follow the law, the weak, the defeated. And then he concludes this little section in verse 22 by saying, To the, so second part of 22, it says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And in 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Basically, Paul is saying, I am completely free. I am completely free because of what Jesus did, because of what he accomplished but I'm using my freedom to reach as many people as possible with the good news of Jesus Christ. I am actually centering my life around that. Paul is living with the posture and the mentality of Jesus. This isn't just for missionaries who are going overseas. This is for every single one of us who live in our communities, in our neighborhood, in this country right now. Paul clearly understood that everyone in this world should have the opportunity to receive this gift that we have been given. 
to be blessed just as we are blessed. But to do that well, we have to take on the right posture and mentality and to see ourselves as those who are called to reach our neighbors near or far for Jesus. A few weeks back, we had Commitment Sunday. And Joel shared with us how our invitation into the family of God is also our invitation to the mission of God. Again, as I shared before, there is no exclusive call for this. It's for every single follower of Jesus. All of us have a part to play in this mission. No matter what we think, we all have a part to play in this mission. And this mission is not completed because there are still people who have never had an opportunity to hear or to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Three Creeks has a special calling, this church, to reach the people of Gehenna, to be a gospel presence here. It began with moving into this neighborhood, dwelling among the people of Gehenna. And now we see a church taking the next step of, of putting down roots here, doing that through the well, which will be a ministry hub, a place, a, a host, a place to host events and to invite people in. So the people of Gehenna and beyond will hear the good news of Jesus, that he provides living water, that he came to redeem and to reconcile them into relationship, to draw them back into himself. But reaching the people of Gehenna, it requires all of our collective effort to love and to serve and to give ourselves towards what God is doing in and through this church right here. If this is your church home, then this is our collective corporate responsibility as the church. But we also have individual responsibilities towards God's mission, which is lived out in the context of the church's calling, but also that of our individual lives. We've all been placed in a particular geographic location and a relational sphere. We have physical proximity with and relational proximity with a number of people. And it's important that we are an intentional gospel presence in their lives. So when we go to join God in his mission, to serve and to love the people around us, we begin with our dwelling place. We begin where we have pitched our tent. Whether that's Gehenna or Columbus or Reynoldsburg, Hilliard, Dublin, Westerville, Bexley, Obetz, our home, our neighborhood, our favorite coffee shop, our go-to park. We enter in with the posture and the mentality of Jesus and that of Paul. It may not be different traditions or customs, but it might be a different lifestyle. It may not be a different language, but a different set of interests. The bottom line is that we don't overlook the people that God has placed around us, neighbors, co-workers, friends, family, who may look, talk, and live very differently than us, but who God is relentlessly pursuing to redeem them from their sin and to reconcile them into relationship with himself. The call to be on mission is for all of us, but the living out of that, it'll look very differently for each of us. For some of you, it might, mean, it, it might actually mean packing up your belongings and making your home in another country. That, that might be a possibility. 
But for others, it might mean inviting your coworker for dinner, or it might mean getting to know the parents of your kid's friends. What God has stirred me personally towards is to befriend international students, to reach out, to be a gospel presence in some international students' lives, to hang out with them, get to know them, help them with different needs, give them rides, to love them, and to, and to pray for opportunities for gospel conversations. Whatever that may be for you, I want to encourage you to listen to the Lord as we're about to jump into a time of reflection. I want to encourage you to listen to the Lord as we have this time of reflection and to lean into what God might be stirring for you. I'm going to read these reflection questions and pray, and then we're going to have a time of reflection, but the prayer team will be in the back, and so feel free if you want to pray with someone, head to the back, pray with them, or just sit quietly and reflect on what God might be communicating to you. So here are questions. What does living on mission look like for you? And who is he, who is God calling you to reach out to? Maybe you can think of a couple specific people. Take some time to reflect and to pray. God, we love you. We are so grateful for what you have done for us, God. I pray, Lord, that we never take it for granted, that it never becomes numb and just something that we're so used to. But, Lord, we realize the depth of what you did, of what you had to go through to come and to be with us, to live among us, to die, to resurrect, so that we could have life, so that we could be free so that we could walk in relationship with you. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in us. God, and we thank you for what you want to do through us. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a couple minutes to reflect, and Joel will come and close our time. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.